Welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast, where we talk to C-level leaders from across the payments landscape. We'll be discussing the products and services that impact the payment space today, as well as trends and predictions for the future of payments. We will also hear stories from our guests about their journeys to the top. Belonging is the goal, and a DI journey is a huge undertaking for anyone. But it's not one that should be taken lightly either. But you don't have to do it alone. That's my message to them. You don't have to do it alone. Involve your leaders. It has to be buying at each level. So bringing people in, pulling a chair at the table and listening to their voices. And leaders also need to step up to the plate, so to say, with this journey and strive for every employee to have that sense of belonging. That was Basil Anya. Senior HR Specialist from Worldline, and he is my special guest this week as we move into the second week of Diversity and Inclusion Month. Basil's number one passion in life is helping people become the best version of themselves. For those of you who may not know, Worldline is the payments provider of choice for ISVs across 60 global industries. They are currently the fourth largest payments provider in the world. From a diversity and inclusion perspective, Worldline follows the IDEA philosophy on a global scale. IDEA, according to Basil, stands for inclusion, diversity, equitability, and accessibility. And these are the four crucial components to ensuring a thriving culture grounded in equality. When asked about the specific initiatives that ensure an equitable foundation in their corporate culture, Basil speaks of three different pillars internal, external, and global. Tune in to hear Basil talk about his journey to becoming a leader in diversity and inclusion, what drives his passion for it, as well as the details around the three pillars. We've got a great episode ahead, so let's get started. Hi, Basil. Welcome to this special series of the Leaders in Payments podcast about diversity and inclusion. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Hi, Greg. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, and I'm excited to be here. Great, great. Well, if you don't mind, tell our audience a little bit about yourself, maybe where you grew up, where you went to school, where you currently live, just a few things like that. Yeah, certainly. So I grew up in Nigeria, which is in western part of Africa, and I moved to the U.S. in 2010. I lived in Missouri, where I went to school, finished up last couple of years of high school, my bachelor's in criminology, legal studies, an MBA in human resources. And I kicked off my career there too as well before I moved to Canada about four years ago with my partner. Currently live in Victoria, British Columbia, which is on Vancouver Island, west coast of Canada. Yeah, that's just a little bit about me and uh, my journey so far. Okay. Well, let's talk about the company Worldline. So tell the audience what Worldline does. I would love to. So in North America here, uh, Worldline is a payment service provider and a partner of choice, if you would, for software providers across 60 industries. And some of our services that we provide are online payments, processing, full service, a gateway, reoccurring batch payments, and access to our robust application programming interface. And uh, so we provide one payment integration to power independent software vendors, ISVs, with solutions tailored to fit their industry. So Greg, if you think about it as one platform, one integration, one billing service, what's not to love? And on a global scale, our industry, so Worldline itself, is fourth in the industry in the world and providing payment services to merchants, banks, third-party acquirers, public transportation organizations, government agencies. And our competitive advantage is our sustainability, secure, and trusted payment services. But I won't go too much into the good stuff. I'll leave that um, for the rest of uh, the conversation. 
Okay, great. Well, tell us a little bit about your professional journey to your role there. You talked a little bit about your MBA in human resources. So I assume that started your professional journey, but maybe fill in the gaps there if you don't mind. Definitely, it sure did. So I started my, my journey in human resources as an intern in the U.S., downtown St. Louis in Missouri in the hospitality industry. So working for a couple of hotels downtown St. Louis, while also doing my MBA and working at the university as an expert resource in the Office of Residential Life. From there, I moved into the agrotech, into an agrotech company, working as a HR assistant for a genome editing microbial portfolio and HR executive. At the time, while I also remained as an independent recruiter for those hotel companies I worked for previously, then I spent some time as a HR coordinator at a mortgage subservicing company, so the financial industry, before I moved to Canada here. When I first moved to Canada, I worked in food manufacturing as a HR generalist. Then I transitioned to Worldline about two years ago in my role currently as a senior HR specialist and business partner for Canada. So my goal, Greg, through my journey has been through this generalist route and has spanned multiple industries that has allowed me to to be more versatile in every aspect of human resources and to be a part of most um, most demographics of the workforce. But yeah, so that brings me here today. That's a little bit about my journey. Okay, awesome. Well, let's talk about the reason we're all here is diversity and inclusion. So can you talk about that within your culture today? I would love to. I would love to. So I would love to start with saying that our culture is one of a, of a very collaborative culture. From the first day I walked into the door, I could I could just feel it. And usually in my role of human resources, we have to ramp up building an authentic trust and getting to know people as fast as possible. But that was very easy coming into this organization. People were very open and supportive and it felt like home, right? So, but speaking of diversity and inclusion, this is probably the first company that I've worked for that has such an intentional dedication to what I like to call IDEA, which is inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility, while also empowering me in my role to build our North American IDEA strategy and plan. And that plan itself encompasses three pillars. So it has this internal, external, and community, and the global pillar as well. And from an internal perspective, we're talking about some cultural celebrations, education, you know, fostering psychological safety in the workplace, and encouraging those tough conversations. From an external perspective, we're talking about building relationships with the community, creating a diverse um, talent pool with our, our talent partners in the community. And from a global standpoint, I'm talking about tagging our local initiatives here to global ones, such as our Trust 2025. So Worldline's Trust 2025 is our goal of becoming a front runner for closing the gender and accessibility gap in technology, like we know of, improving our culture of learning and strengthening our corporate social responsibilities. And those are a few, a few of them that I wanted to highlight. And a lot of this initiatives from, from a DNI perspective can be found on, uh, on our website, which is pretty accessible to the public. Can you talk about sort of, you know, smaller companies? It's, I guess it's easier. Now you're talking about a global company. Like how does, mm-hmm. how do you keep the consistency of these types of programs and pillars and initiatives when it's such a global organization. How do you keep that going? How do you keep the momentum in those types of things? Definitely. That's a very good question. And thank you, Greg. So keeping the momentum going really ties together with involvement of the employees itself at a local level. And that's what I mentioned with those, with the internal aspect of it too as well. 
because different countries have our different stages of their journey when it comes to diversity and inclusion, right? And if we're looking at a bigger stage, it's hard to quantify all those and be on the same page. So from a local perspective, that's where we're coming to micro learnings, micro activities and events that can spark those bigger conversations. So for smaller companies on a local level, that's a good starting point, right? Is looking at, you know, involving your employees, involving your leadership team managers. Yeah. So that's what I would say in terms of from that micro perspective. And who, maybe it's a who or maybe it's a what, but something motivated you to think about diversity and inclusion and make that part of your career and, and part of what you do at, at Worldline. So who was it or what was it that motivated you? I think it's, it's um, I guess, both, really. It's my personal journey being a part of very different environments, right? Coming from Nigeria to the U.S. and then to Canada and how different in practices and those diversity journeys those countries are. So that's the first thing that sparked that aspect of, of passion in me, so to say. But also, I've firsthand seen the power of, of equity in work and life and how it can only positively impact organizations and it can transcend generations, right? People working here and, and transcending just not just the workplace, but outside the workplace. And it can just shift a person and a society's way of thinking, right? So that aspect of it is what has sparked my passion, so to say, in diversity and inclusion. And like I mentioned, I'm very passionate about helping people become the best versions of themselves together. Did you have this motivation and passion that, and I think passion is an incredible word, the passion for this when you were back in the the MBA days of school, or was this something that you just gained more passion over time? More passion over time. And so going back to my professional journey with diversity and inclusion and moving from a country where, you know, most people looked just like me, right? Nigeria, and then moving to the U.S. and experiencing different cultures, different people coming together seeing inequities and stereotypes in different groups and understanding and feeling that empathy for myself as a, as a black man too as well and experiencing you know firsthand those stereotypes uh, but also seeing people go through that kind of situation too as well really really inspired me to understand you know where do stereotypes come from biases come from how do they transcend into you know racism how how can an organization and me as a, as a key player in human resources do my part to mitigate, minimize, and hopefully eliminate such a thing in an organization and hope that it can transcend that company and it can basically be be contagious outside of that, right? So the passion comes from life experience, my personal journey, and being a part of so many different cultures that are at different stages. And, you know, you haven't necessarily been part of the payments or fintech industry for a long time, but I'm, I'm sure you have a sense of this for, for the next question is, how do you think we're doing as an industry on, on this topic? And, and so it's a two-part question. How do you think we're doing as an industry and what more needs to be done? Definitely. That's a, f- a fabulous two-part question, Greg. So to answer the first one, the finance and technology. So if you segregate those finance technology, bring it together as fintech have predominantly been an industry that has been dominated by men, right? And COVID happened, uh, like we were talking about, and it sparked a change in technology. And if you call it a silver lining, so to say, for diversity, uh, in our, and in our society, you know, we still see that women are the primary home managers. But with moving to a more remote environment, what we saw a shift was that those women could now pursue careers in this industry like never before. Right. So thus bridging that gap a little bit in fintech. So we've come a a long way since then 
in our ability to be more remote, to, you know, to offer accessible roles like never before. So there's been a big shift, which has sparked even bigger shifts and more demand in that work-life balance, so to say, and has helped, um, and has helped, you know, just just project the industry itself, fintech, into the future a bit further to have a microscope on what diversity and inclusion really means and its benefits, right, of having a diverse workforce. And but the fantastic thing, and you know, about working in fintech specifically in Worldline, you know, we've championed these aspects, ensuring equity and belonging, not only elevating, you know, our events that support more diversity in the workforce, but also looking at the systematic barriers and how we can mitigate them in society. And then your second question, you know, Greg, uh, so you talked about what what needs to be done. Um, I think normalizing and building a culture and building benefits in that culture that cater to an entire population, really. But the biggest thing is, you know, building intentional efforts in fintech to address systematic issues, like I mentioned, that serve as those barriers to demographics that we don't see representation still in fintech, right? So moving beyond maybe gender differences or gender equity, moving beyond maybe looking at accessibility, how accessible is it in fintech? And and focusing on the triple bottom line, right? So I'm talking about the people, the planet, the profit, and moving from just a focus on the bottom line itself. Yeah, you've mentioned the word accessibility a couple of times. Do you mind sort of defining that and maybe go into that in a little more detail? I would love to. So accessibility, what I mean is looking at a facility. So if we're talking about a brick and mortar location, how accessible is it to individuals who have maybe physical disabilities or individuals with with cognitive disabilities? But if you're looking at a remote environment too as well, and that's one thing that has sparked in the remote world where you have neurodivergent individuals that might feel a lot more comfortable in their space at home. And we're seeing a lot more applications coming in, right, into for roles that were historically brick and mortar and accessibility in terms as something as simple as an automatic door opener, right? The organizations mm-hmm. think about that as much as they should, right? Something as simple as your job description, are we using are we still using ableist terms in our job descriptions that could be barriers for people who are living with disabilities, right? Something as simple as the word able to do this, right? It's implicit and that's where the you know that's where the you know looking into it even finer and refining the way we think about our language too as well. And creating an environment, Greg, where um, we don't use ableist terms in society helps it become a lot more accessible to folks, both psychologically and physically too as well. I want to touch on this and get your thoughts because I, I think it's something that our industry doesn't necessarily do much of, some, but maybe not enough, is really focus on, you know, the compelling, you know, value prop of having a diverse and inclusive workforce, right? I, I think it's sometimes a one-liner in a in a job description, or maybe it's, you know, mentioned a little bit on a website. And I mean, I think there's an opportunity, and it's probably true across, across a lot of industries, but I think there's definitely an opportunity in, in the payments and fintech space to to elevate that. A lot of companies you know, a lot of startups have it in their DNA. A lot of bigger companies are trying to get it into their DNA, but it's there in some way. And I just feel like we don't really elevate that much. What are your thoughts on that? Definitely, definitely. I think it comes, you know, I agree with you, Greg. And I think the elevation comes into making it, you know, into normalizing it. So starting with starting with language, you know, something as simple as language. When you're talking about the technology space, you know, you still, you still see there's language that could, that have, you know, historically 
been tied to, uh, you know, to either to things that are discriminatory or ableist terms and switching gears and changing the way we, the way we speak and noticing how the words we say and how it affects and, and how it plays in society. But also it's something that, you know, speaking of diversity, inclusion and accessibility as a whole, we're moving into a society that organizations don't have a choice anymore, right? You have some who are front runners and who see the value in it and who are doing the real work. But honestly, Greg, we're moving to a society and it's coming soon where, you know, your your candidates, your prospects, your clients would demand that there's, you know, this equity in your organization and demand that this is part of your corporate social responsibility, right? So I think it's something that any fintech organization, finance, technology, if they're not already doing the work and doing the good work, and I mean that not just doing it because they, it's inevitable, but seeing the value in it, in what it brings to the organization, right? Bringing innovation, bringing creative thinkers, being more representative of your society and being involved in your community, right? That it's inevitable, so to say. Yeah. What specific programs or initiatives does Worldline have in place? And and, and if there are many, maybe maybe just talk high level of about a few. And then if you want to dive deeper into a couple, that'd be great too, because I think this is sort of where I think companies can learn and, and leaders who listen to the show can can learn what other companies are doing well. So can you talk about some of those programs and initiatives? Definitely. I would love to, Greg. So I think the first thing I'll, I'll say for leaders is, is especially if you're in your, you're just starting out your diversity and equity journey itself, is try not to go too big too fast, right? You need to take your employees along with you. They need to be buying at each level of the organization. And the value has to be has to be seen, right? So we started off in a micro way, right? Because the toughest thing I find is sparking conversation. So on a local basis, we have a, a podcast that I actually host, in, an internal podcast, where I welcome employees as guests on, and, and we talk about those tough topics. You know, so it's geared to sparking conversation and also raising awareness. And that's one simple and implicit way that folks can start to to you know to make those conversations feel a lot easier to have, right? And we do a lot of cultural celebrations on our monthly calendars. And Friday virtual trivia, right, is a big one too, so that helps educate in a fun and social way, right? One Another big thing as well is to make it not seem daunting or not to penalize a certain group for maybe historic mar- marginalization, but to raise awareness and educate in a way that is still fun, still social, and, and, and folks can retain that information. Another thing is having a DEI committee, right? So diversity, equity, inclusion committee as well, but having it a very well-represented group of individuals. So that's another thing that we're doing here, Greg, that we have locally, but also partnering with your community. And now I've I've mentioned that a few times, but on a local basis, we have some partnerships with Inclusion BC, uh, with Orbital Learning. Those are neurodivergent partners. From a recruitment standpoint, we work with organizations like the Immigrant Employment Council, We've partnered with them in the past to help build programs to mitigate the barriers of new immigrants have in the country, right? And helping build a a mentorship program at the moment too. And then we partnered with the Victoria Pride Society and that's doing Pride Festival. We volunteer with the organization. So things like that, those little things of, you know, with with those pillars I mentioned, the local, internal, the community, local as well. So the, the small and simple things that you can start with and grow from. And then just touching on a global scale, because it ties into our local too as well, is I sit on the Global Steering Committee for our our diversity and equity network called Unite. And through that, we elevate and foster 
inclusivity across all locations, you know, through sessions, webinars, collaborations with publications on what our global stance and statement is to the public. But from a local perspective, Greg, those are simple things that organizations can do that can start the conversation. You know, the biggest thing is taking your employees along with you and getting buy-in from your leaders too. Can you talk about the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee? Maybe who makes up the committee and what's what's its purpose? Definitely, definitely. So I'll start with the local one, our DNI committee. So when I started the committee itself and we started our journey, I invited a group of people. I put the memo out there for our entire population. A few people experienced their interest in it, but also that this was something that was new to them. So we built a committee of a diverse group of committee of people with, you know, from all from different departments, different cultural backgrounds, different demographics, age, experience, right? And then we started it off as a, an advisory committee because a lot of the folks were very new to the committee are new to doing this DEI work. So they wanted to be a part of it, but they were not sure how to do so. So we started off as an advisory committee where I would bring ideas to the table, run them through the entire committee, get best practices on every single person's perspective because everyone has a different walk of life and a different experience and they have a different, you know, say they can bring to the table, right? And gradually, we've, you know, we've started to see a little bit more comfort in people taking on bigger roles of hosting, you know, activities and events. And it really helped because you, you can get people's perspectives on different, on, you know, your diverse population, especially if you have a very diverse organization or trying to build towards one, right? Yeah, so that's, that's, uh, that's our local DI committee and that's kind of how we function from start to where we are right now. This is a very specific question. It, it can be a two-part question as well, because I think that both of these groups, the, the executive leaders and the HR people and leaders, are important to doing this well. So maybe what would your advice be to the HR leaders, and then maybe what would your advice be to executive leaders on how to you know, how to launch these programs, how to keep the momentum going, how to build a culture of, of diversity and inclusion. So what would your advice be to, a, to an HR leader? Definitely. My advice for a HR leader and even for a business leader would be along the same lines. And that's uh, that everyone and what anyone wants is to belong. So belonging is the goal, right? And, you know, trust me, Greg, a DI journey is a huge undertaking for anyone but it's not one that should be taken lightly either. But you don't have to do it alone. That's my message to them. You don't have to do it alone. Involve your leaders, like I, like I mentioned. There has to be buying at each level. So bringing people in, pulling a chair at the table and listening to their voices. And leaders also need to step up to the plate, so to say, with this journey and strive for every employee to have that sense of belonging, right? And you will see that actions, initiatives, language, like I mentioned, all fall into place when belonging is the goal, is the end goal. And focusing on that can make the DI journey feel a lot more achievable, right? But that would be my message to HR leaders and, and leaders in general. How do you know you're being successful? Do you do you have any kind of surveys or is it a gut feeling or how, how do you know these programs are making a difference? That's a fantastic question. In my world of human resources, a lot of our our initiatives can be subjective because it's hard to measure, unlike maybe finances, right? So we get the feedback from when we see people become move from passively engaged to actively engaged. When we hear people talking about it, you know, and raising awareness, or people challenging each other in terms of language and references, 
or people educating each other, having those conversations. That's what we try to, you know, that's when we start to see that the work we're doing is working. And sometimes it does take time. It does take time because it's not something that you can rush if you want to do it right and do it well. But we start to see those in conversations. We start to see, especially when we do our culture check-ins, right? So I started, uh, we started our culture check-ins, what is popularly known as stay interviews. But our, our role with those is to check in on our employees. You know, I do about five a month with random employees in different stages of their, their tenure here. And those conversations, you can, you know, you can see, you, they tell you a little bit about, hey, this is awesome that we have this now. But yeah, that's how we, that's how we, we quantify the work we're doing when it comes to diversity and inclusion. Besides being able to, you know, look at statistics of representation, our population from maybe a year ago until now. So those ones are a bit more uh, metric driven that you can you can quantify by the numbers of how well have you closed the gaps you've identified. But when it comes to those initiatives, it's more of a subjective matter, but keeping a close ear out in, in your organization and you really start to see it if the work is if the work is being effective. Does each location of Worldline have sort of a, a leader of of the initiatives sort of like sounds like you are, you know, there in your location, does like every world line location have a leader? Yeah. So speaking from, uh, I guess that sounds like a, from a global perspective in terms of our country locations. Yes. So Unite is our global network that I mentioned. I sit on, on as the part of the steering committee. And then we have the local lead committee or uh, the local leads and each region has a local lead, right? So my colleague sits for, for North America. We have Nordics. We have, you know, different countries in, in, in the EU that are local leads. And they do pretty much what I, what I do here from, on a global scale as it caters to what they need in their country and how far along in their journey they are. Well, we've covered a, a lot of ground on this topic already, and we're about to, to wrap up. Is there anything else you'd like to discuss or leave with our audience? Yeah, definitely. I know we've, we've touched on a lot of uh, amazing initiatives as it relates to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I've talked a lot about, you know, just publicly accessed website, our website that folks can, can go to. So it's worldline.com and folks can go and see our, our corporate social responsibility. It's an organization, our mission and how it's driven from a society first perspective. And this is, I just want to say, Greg, this is a place that feels like home, right? So I mentioned, I mentioned that already, but we were a great place to work certified in North America again, and across the globe, a lot of our countries are. So from a career perspective, also please do check out our careers page. But most of all, uh, I have to reiterate my comment on belonging as it relates to diversity and inclusion, because everyone deserves to belong and we need to strive towards that. 100% agree. Well, Basil, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate all your insights on this important topic. And again, thank you so much for your time and being here today. My pleasure, Greg, and thank you for having me. I've had a good time. Absolutely. And to all you listeners out there, I thank you for your time as well. And until the next story. Thank you for joining us this week on the Leaders in Payments podcast. Make sure you visit our website at leadersinpayments.com, where you can subscribe to the show and where you'll find our show notes. If you enjoyed listening, please share on your social channels as well.